Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Make Sense with Ethan Spence podcast. Okay, today I'm here with my dad. He works with Easy and Ray Comfort over at Living Waters, and I am privileged to have him on the show today. We're going to talk about the topic of abortion. So, Dad, just say hi. Ethan Elijah Spence, who would have thought that I would be sitting here being interviewed by you? I mean, honestly, this is a bit of a treat for me. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's such an honor to have you here, Dad. So let's just get right into it. Dad, you've been studying abortion, the topic of abortion, for a long time. Now, how long has it been? I've been studying it almost every day for three, four years, but I've been studying it since my whole Christian life, which is about 30 years. Wow. Wow. So that that's amazing. I'm curious, what is motivating you? Why are you doing this? Well, um, bearing in mind that 62 million babies have died since Roe v. Wade was legal, became legal in 1973. And last year alone, 42.7 million babies died in the womb worldwide. So 62 million since 1973 in the U.S., but almost 43 million worldwide. We are commanded to be a voice for the voiceless. And that's what motivates me. I, I'm against murder because God's against murder, right? It's really that simple. Wow, that's that's so cool. Thank you so much for for all you're doing for the pro-life movement. Okay, Dad, I've heard you use one single argument when it comes to the topic of abortion. What, what is that one argument? Well, it's, it's a question. And the question is, what is it? Right? Once you answer the question, what it is, then that affects all the objections that come our way. Right? People say, well, shouldn't abortion be legal in the cases of rape or incest? Or what if the mother's life's in danger? Right. Or the world is overpopulated or the child is deformed. It could be addicted to drugs. Once we answer the first question, what it is, then that's going to affect the rest of the questions here. Right. So imagine this. Let me let me share this illustration, if I may. Imagine waking up early on a Saturday morning to your son calling out to you from the other room with a question. Daddy, daddy, can I kill it? Can I kill it? Now, before you can answer the question with a yes or a no, you need to know what what is it that's it that's exactly right what is it what are we talking about what's the subject at hand so if your son responds and says well it is a cockroach you'd respond with absolutely son kill the cockroach clean it up before mama wakes up and don't show your sister sally but if on the other hand if he responds with it is my sister sally i want to kill sally she's driving me crazy with her dolls Right? You'd wake up your spouse in a frenzy wondering how things went south and immediately take them over to a shrink or to the pastor trying to figure out what's going on. So once you answer the question, what is it? And the Bible makes it very clear that each one of us are a distinct, unique human being created in the image of God with intrinsic value. Now, the sciences agree with this as well, but I, I stick with the Bible as my foundation that we are distinctly different, that we are whole human beings from the moment of conception, right? You did not come from an embryo. You were an embryo, right? You didn't come from a fetus. You were a fetus. You didn't come from a teenager. You are a teenager. 
and someday you'll be an adult, right? So that, that's the way it works. That's the progression. So once we answer what it is, then we can answer the rest of the questions. So we also have the science of embryology, and we have the science of biogenesis. But most importantly, we have the Word of God, and that is what we stand on. Okay, so with that in mind, that once we answer the question what it is, you believe that that trumps any and every other argument, question, concern when it comes to abortion. So allow me now to play devil's advocate for a second. Don't people have allegedly good arguments when it comes to this? Like, what if someone says, you're a man, you don't have a say in what a woman does with her own body? What would you say to that, Dad? Yeah, boy, that, that's that's pretty common, right? Especially today. You're a man, so you don't have a say. But bear in mind, right? Since you don't have a uterus, you don't have a say. They also say this, though, that you can be a woman even though you don't have a uterus. Or there's something like 81 genders out there. So I think we're okay on the argument if men don't have a say, but then again, there's no such thing as gender, that it's whatever you want it to be. All right, so we, we have a problem with that. We're a nation that doesn't believe in gender, but we fight for women's rights. All right, that's like saying you don't own a gun, therefore, well, you don't get a vote on gun laws. Or since you're not in the military, you don't get to have an opinion about war. I would dare to say that somebody who is pro-choice, who raises this argument, only uses this, uses this argument when it doesn't agree with them. Let me give you an example and how we know this to be true, and you'll see this right away. If men don't have a say about abortion, then we should overturn that landmark case, Roe v. Wade, because it was all men, nine men that presided on the case. Two dissented, but seven men decided the fate of abortion here in America. Not one woman presided on that case. So if men don't get to have a say, where does that leave us? That we would overturn Roe v. Wade. That's exactly right. right? So this is not a gender issue. We reject that altogether. What authentic conversation does is it looks at the evidence, evaluates the evidence to see if it's valid and true, and then it draws an intellectually honest conclusion. Remember, this, this is life and death that weighs in the balance here. So this is why anybody should be able to talk about any subject. This is, after all, America, freedom of speech still. Okay, so I get all that, but what if someone comes up to you and raises another objection? They say, all this is good and all if it's a baby, but I don't think it's a baby. It's just a fetus or it's just a clump of cells. What do you say to that one, Dad? Well, it is a clump of cells, right? So are you. You're just a bigger clump of cells. Is it just a clump of cells? Well, it it has a, a separate DNA from mom and dad. Often it has a different blood type from mom and dad. What is the difference between a preborn and a newborn? There really are only four differences, and I can quickly go through these. Uh, Stephen Schwartz, inside of one of his books, breaks it down. The only four differences using the acronym SLED, S-L-E-D, says size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. Well, the baby's smaller than that of a newborn, the preborn, that is. Well, of course it's smaller. Why, why does size have any bearing in the conversation, right? Uh, men are typically bigger than women. Does that mean men get to have more rights? Or Dwayne The Rock Johnson is bigger than Kevin Hart. Does that mean Kevin Hart doesn't get to have a, a full 100% say as that of... Dwayne The Rock Johnson? No. So we have to get back to that original question. What is it? 
and it is a human being. The science of embryology says this very carefully. Next is the level of development, right? I've heard people say, how can something whose brain is still developing, who's not even self-aware, be a human being? Well, I mean, imagine if your development, your abilities determined your value as a person, right? Your uh, brain is still developing well into your 20s, right? Does that mean I can kill you when you're 21, 22? Because your brain is still developing, right? That, that makes no sense, right? Yeah. All right. Or a six-year-old's reproductive organs aren't fully developed like that of a 16-year-old, right? So is that six-year-old less of a person than that of a teenager because she can't get pregnant yet? No, absolutely not. Right. So the little child is as much developed as you would expect it to be at that stage, right? So that's the L. The next is the environment or the location. Somebody says, well, it's not in the world yet, so therefore it's not a person. Well, I beg to differ, right? It is in the world, just in a different location. An astronaut doesn't cease to be a human being because it goes in outer space. And we change locations all the time. It doesn't change our personhood. And then finally is that degree of dependency, right? So people often say, if the unborn is totally dependent on its mother, then how can it be a person? To which I say, well, I'm curious. Why can't something so dependent be a person? Can you think of any other examples where people are relying upon other things in order to survive? Uh, like a pacemaker, probably. Yeah. And there's people on uh, dialysis machines or medicine like insulin, right? There's uh, people in planes that are relying upon the pilots to get to the other side. Even so, we have toddlers, or excuse me, we have the preborn that are relying upon their mother to get them to the other side. So that's SLED, the size, level of development, environment, degree, dependency. Those are the only four differences between a preborn, which some say are not human, and a newborn, which some say are human. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. I love that answer. Thank you so much. But, okay, what if someone agrees that it is a baby in the womb? Okay, so they agree it's a baby. They agree that it is a clump of cells, but so is everything else. But what if the mother was raped? And every time she looked at, at her child, she was reminded of that horrible day. What, what do you say to that mother? Now, this is a, a sensitive subject. Because oftentimes when this question is raised, it's not to see if the baby has a heartbeat, but to see if you have a heartbeat do you care do you have enough compassion or sympathy of what she's gone through but also this question is raised this objection comes forth because they think they can stump you it's really that simple not that they know somebody who's been raped but that abortion should be legal so I'll say hey well if we say that abortion should be legal in the cases of rape or incest then would you be willing to outlaw abortion all the rest of the cases? To which they say no. I go, well, then why are you raising the objection? Because that objection of rape and incest is less than 1%. But I have to ask myself, is it fair to give the death penalty to an innocent child? Right? We don't punish the child for the crime of the father. And if it's not okay to kill a baby conceived in rape after they're born, then it's not okay to kill that same person before they're born, right? So mom cannot come up to you and say, hey, you're a product of rape. I understand. <clears throat> I understand that you're uh, 17 years old, but uh, you're still a product of rape and I'm going to kill you. Would that ever be acceptable? Uh, no. 
Yeah, right. So if it doesn't work after the child is born, it doesn't work before the child is born. So both the mother and the preborn, they're both victims, but you don't kill one victim to make the other feel better about themselves. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that answer. Wow, that was good. Okay. What do you say to someone who says, what if my baby comes out deformed and handicapped, going to live a hard life and even do a toll on the mother? having to take care of the baby that whole time, what do you say to someone who brings up that argument? I say, so what? I mean, honestly, it's that simple, right? Why do you think we should murder those who are different than you and I? (laughs) Right? So all children have value no matter the circumstance of their birth. I don't believe that we should murder deformed human babies or adolescents or teens or adults or the elderly. But I want you to bear in mind also that when you say, that a child who is deformed should be aborted, you're revealing a lot about your character, right? In essence, you're saying deformed people whom you come in contact with should never have been born, right? I mean, what do we do? In In a civilized society, we help those in need. We don't kill them, right? Handicapped people are given preferential treatment with placards to park closer to shops, stores, and malls. Right, we give them preferred seating on the buses, subways, and trains. We make ramps right, for those who can't walk. We give canes to those who can't see, and we give hearing aids to those who have difficulty hearing. We don't murder them. That is so clear and concise. Okay, there's a lot more objections that I can possibly bring up, so we'll have to save that for another time. But one last objection, Dad. What if the mother's life is in danger? Well, by saying mother, you you agree that there's two people. So our first premise is what is it? It is a human being. This is a mother, which means she's pregnant with a human being, right? She's not pregnant with a cat or a dog. But also note that if the mother's life's in danger, you don't go to Planned Parenthood. You go to what? A doctor. That's right. You go to a real doctor. You go to the emergency room, right? And as rare as these situations are, and they certainly do exist— When extreme medical emergencies that threaten the life of the mother arise, it may be medically necessary to abort the baby. No, no, it's not to abort the baby, but to deliver the child early if it's viable, which is between 21 and 25 weeks. So if the mother's life's endangered, deliver the baby through a C-section. That's what we do. But that's not abortion. Elective abortion is the intentional and direct murder of an innocent person. There are no medical complications or pathologies where once the baby's removed, the mother is now going to be all better. You know, perhaps this illustration can uh, tie it home, right? So, Ethan, imagine you and I were sitting by a, uh, a river's edge, and we see a woman and a little child floating down the river holding on to a branch of some sort. They're in need. Would it be acceptable if I dove in grabbed a hold of one, and then I pushed the other one's head under the water as I brought the one to safety. No. Right, that would be ridiculous. I'm going to attempt to save both, and if one of them dies, well, that is just where we're at today, right? Uh, Bear in mind, Dr. Anthony Levitino, he's a former abortionist. He said, in my experience of over almost a decade, I never had to deliberately kill a single child to save a woman's 
life. Wow. I mean, if the doctor says it, then I mean, I'm with him and I'm with you. Thank you so much for that. Everyone listen up. Allow me to finish this podcast with this. In New York, more black babies are aborted than born. In Denmark, 100% of babies with Down syndrome are tragically aborted. There have been 62 million abortions in the U.S. alone since 1971, or excuse me, 1973. That's 62 million creative, distinct human beings made in the image of God with intrinsic value, not instrumental value. They're not valuable just because they can offer you something, but because who they are and whose image they bear. You do not have to perform to this world in order to have that mark upon your eyes that says in the image of God, Imago Dei, you shine with value and worth because God made you in his image. And that's why murder is wrong because you are taking the life of another image bearer. Guys, let's give a voice to the voiceless and help to the helpless. Let's go speak out to the highways, to the byways, to the gutterways. Go until the whole world hears. Most importantly, the transforming message of the gospel. But as Christians, we are to stand up and speak up for injustice. And this this is true injustice. The hot. The modern-day holocaust of abortion is real. It is a reality. We see it before our eyes. 62 million people aborted in the name of choice. I pray this podcast fires you guys up, sets a fire beneath you to go out and share the pro-life message with the world. But in doing so, also preach the transforming message of the gospel. The world needs it. Anything you want to say for your last words, Dad? Go to uh, our website, right? Livingwaters.com and become equipped in the area of the pro-life movement and also evangelism and apologetics. We uh, produced a movie many years ago called 180. You can go to YouTube and watch people change their mind on this very topic all right so there you have it thank you so much for tuning in everyone i'm your host ethan spence host of the make sense with ethan spence podcast i'll see you guys next time